let me uh, encourage you to take a copy of uh, scriptures and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 1 through 25, the fifth book of Moses. Israel is on the plains of Moab, and Moses is preaching. And he's preaching by reminding Israel of uh, their history. Deuteronomy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through a lengthy section to verse 25. Let's hear God's word together. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on, away from our brothers, the people of Esau who lived in Seir, away from the Arabah road from Elath and Ezion Geber. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar to the people of Lot for a possession. The Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephim, but the Moabites called them Amim. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them, And destroyed them from before them and settled in their place, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now, rise up and go over the brook Zered. So we went over the brook Zered. And the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years, until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, Today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. It is also counted as a land of Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzamim, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them 
before the Ammonites, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place, as he did for the people of Esau who lived in Seir when he destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. As for the Avim, who lived in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftarim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and settled in their place. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sion, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle." This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole of heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Well, there are some strange sounding peoples in this passage, aren't there? The Horites, the Amim, the Ammonites, the Kaphtarim. And I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing their names right. My personal favorite, the Zamzamim, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. This, this passage is also full of strange-sounding places. Mount Seir, Elath, Ezion Geber, the book of Zered, Kadesh Barnea, Kaftor, the border of Moab at Ar. I couldn't help but think of pirates every time I came across the word Ar this week. Um, And at first glance, these unfamiliar peoples and places may seem like something out of Tolkien's Middle Earth, a place of myth and legend. It seems so far removed from us that we might think that this is irrelevant to us. And yet, I think on reflection, it is anything but that. In fact, the unfamiliarity of these ancient peoples and forgotten places serves to underscore one of the main points of this passage, which is about God's limitless lordship and his providential provision which extends to all peoples in all places. That's the theme we find in this passage. God's limitless lordship and his providential provision, which extends to all peoples in all places, including us, as well as as lots of people that we just don't know anything about. See, the God of the Bible is not a time-bound, tribalistic, territorial deity. He is a God of worldwide sovereign purpose. He controls all of human history. He knows all of these strange peoples and forgotten places that we are so unfamiliar with. In fact, he determined their allotted periods and where they would dwell. He is the God of the nations, even even of pagan peoples who do not recognize his sovereign lordship. But God not only commands and controls the the vast movements and migrations of peoples, he he guides you, He, he guides 
me. He, he brought us here this morning to hear his word. He knows when you rise and when you sit and when you lie down at night. He knows you're coming and you're going. He knows the length of your days and the place that you call home. He is acquainted with all of your ways. He hems you in behind and before. And for the Christian, this is wonderful, wonderful news. And so with this theme of God's limitless lordship in mind, I want us to consider this passage in two parts. The first part is God's providence in all places, and the second part is God's providence toward all people. So let's start with the first, God's providence in all places. If you skim over this chapter, these 25 verses, part of chapter 2, you'll notice a lot of different places that are mentioned and notice as well all of these different border crossings that are mentioned. That's emphasized in, in this story, not just the places, but all of the in-between places, the borders and the boundaries that are crossed. So for example, verse 1, we turned and journeyed into the wilderness and for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Verse 4 describes how Israel traveled through the territory of their brothers, the people of Esau. Verse 8 speaks of how they turned and went into the direction of the wilderness of Moab. Verse 13, how Israel crossed over the brook of Zered. Verse 18 says, today you are to cross the border of Moab. And verse 24 commands the people to rise up and set out and to go over the valley of Arnon. Now, if you pay attention to that, you'll recognize there's a variety of settings described there from desert wastelands to mountains to valleys and brooks. And there's a variety of people who are encountered along the way. Some of the places are populated by folks that are more or less friendly and other places are populated by by enemies Um, and our experience our experience in the Christian life as pilgrims on the way who are living life on the move is very much like that we go through different settings in our lives and rub shoulders with a variety of of people, And I, I don't know where you find yourself right now today, but no doubt some of us find ourselves in difficult places and maybe facing situations where we have to deal with not-so-friendly people. You see, the Christian life, it's, it's like that. Like the pilgrim people of Israel, we face a variety of circumstances and people, and so we need to develop a situational awareness. That is what Moses is encouraging here in this passage. He's encouraging Israel to develop a situational awareness. You got to know where you're at. And Proverbs has a lot to say about developing this kind of wisdom. You need to know how to act around different sorts of people. It's a part of learning godly wisdom. Sometimes in places call for restraint and peaceful dealings and other times and situations call for going on the offensive we we gotta we gotta read the room as people say today 
For example, when Israel passed through the territory of their brothers, they were to be very careful. They were not to provoke hostility with the descendants of Esau. They were to exercise caution. That's pretty good advice when you get together with family that you haven't seen in a while, particularly with a family history as dicey as Jacob and Esau's. Be careful. Don't pick a fight. And so the call in verse 4 to be careful reflects this kind of wisdom. The, The command to be careful is actually one of the most frequent commands repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. So we shouldn't just pass over it. The Hebrew word shamar, that's translated careful, is used 65 times in the book of Deuteronomy alone. So this is a, this is a major theme in this book, and it prompts us to ask ourselves the question, am I leading a careful Christian life? Or am I leading a careless life? Do you, do you know how to respond to the situation that you find yourself in? Are you sensitive to the times in which you live? And as we, as we try to pay careful attention to our surroundings, it is important for us to not only develop a situational awareness, but to also have an understanding of our ultimate situation. This passage gives us all of these different settings And calls God's people to be careful and to pay attention. And and that means in the Christian life that we always need to be paying careful attention. But not only to our present situation, also to our ultimate situation. Where are we really? Where are you really? Moses tells the people, have a look in verse 7. These 40 years... The Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. That was their ultimate situation, and that is our ultimate situation in Christ. The Lord is with us, and we lack nothing in him. And to appreciate this, that Christ was with Israel in the wilderness years. Christ was personally present among and with Israel during their years in the wilderness. He had been with them and they lacked nothing even during those years of of punishment for their disobedience. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 that all of the people drank from the same spiritual Uh, They drank the same spiritual drink, uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And Paul says that rock was Christ. However we're meant to understand what that rock was and how it followed them, Paul's main point is clear. Whatever it was, Christ was with Israel and they lacked nothing needed, even in the years in the barren wilderness. Now here's a, another fascinating thing to notice. When Paul calls Christ the rock, he's actually drawing from the book of Deuteronomy. He's drawing from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where one of the names for God is God our rock. 
And so in saying that Christ is the rock who followed Israel, Paul is identifying Jesus as God the rock who is, who is with his people and provided for them so that they lacked nothing. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. If we're Christians, it, it doesn't matter where you have to go. Christ, your rock, is with you. He is not a territorial tribalistic deities not limited by space or time he remains with us wherever we go if I make my bed in Sheol you are there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me this is our ultimate situation In Christ, despite all of our varying circumstances, despite all of the places we will go, this is our ultimate situation. He is with us and he provides. And so you see, we not only need a situational awareness to know what the times call for, we also need this ultimate situational awareness. Awareness, wherever we go, whatever we face, whatever the times, the Lord is with his people and we lack nothing. Now, this theme of, of God being with his people, it, it only it intensifies with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It, it reveals God's settled intention to dwell with us and to be with us and So after winning salvation for us by dying on the cross and conquering death by rising again from the dead and ascending into heaven and returning to his father. You remember just before Jesus left, he he told his disciples, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I, I will send another helper to you. I will send you the spirit. And This is what Jesus Christ does. He he comes to us. He he comes to us by the Spirit who dwells within us. His promise is, is still true. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is our ultimate situation as Christians. The Lord our God, our rock, is with us and we have lacked nothing. And that means we don't need to worry, brothers and sisters, Even when we face difficult circumstances and to deal with unfriendly people, people perhaps who are hostile, God's providence extends to his people in all places so that he can protect and provide for us wherever we are. And we can see this amazing movement throughout history all the way as it leads us to Jesus himself. And when I think about this passage and all that it has to teach us about God's control over the movements and migrations of people, I cannot help but think about how God orchestrated the events of the gospel. How he providentially brought Mary and Joseph at just the right time to the little town of Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And so isn't it, isn't it an astounding irony that when Caesar Augustus was issuing a, a decree to tax the world, and 
In other words, he's, he's, he's seeking to take something from everybody and he's moving people around like pieces on a chessboard in order to do it. He's moving whole populations of people. But what is God doing? He is moving his people where they need to be in order to give them his son. Right? While, while Caesar Augustus is seeking to take, God is seeking to give his one and only son. Who could have seen that? Who could have guessed that that's what God was up to in the midst of, of all of that? You see, we can get ourselves all worked up in the situations that we find ourselves in. Why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this? And so, and so we speculate. But we, instead, instead of doing that, what, what we need to learn to do is remember that the gospel tells us what God is up to. God is up to the business of giving his people himself. And nothing less than that. That's what he's up to. He controls all of the events of history to give his people himself. That's what he was doing in the wilderness. It's what he was seeking to do in leading Israel into the promised land. It's why Christ came in person to be with us and to give us himself. And this is why we can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. God's providence in all places. He rules the world to give his people himself to be our portion so that we lack nothing. And that leads us to the second part of the story. I want us to consider not only God's providence uh, in all places, but now secondly, God's providence to all peoples. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that many people were saying that as the world became more modernized, more educated, uh, more industrialized, that... Uh, Religious belief would go the way of the dodo bird. Right? That was the argument of the so-called secularization hypothesis. This idea that um, the decline of religious belief and the advance of modern notions of progress were two sides of the same coin. But that myth has been busted. <laughs> and uh, even, even secular folks are recognizing it. While it's true that in the Western world, that the number of people identifying as religious has, has shrunk. On a global level, not only has religion failed to decline, but uh, sociologists are now talking about an increasingly religious world in the future. Now, part of the reason for this increase is simply a, the connection between theology and Reproduction, it's just a simple fact that Christians and Jews and Muslims outproduce non religious people. But perhaps the biggest shock to the secular system is a country, for example, like China. China is a country that has tried hard to restrain any spread of religion beyond what the state permits and controls. And yet, despite all of those efforts, Christianity is booming in China in such a way that sociologists again are saying that um, 
Christians in China could outnumber Christians in the U.S. by as early as 2030. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, though, because the God of the Bible, again, is not a territorial deity who is only concerned with one kind of people or ethnicity. He's the Lord of all of the nations, and we can see God's multinational interests even here in this passage. He's concerned about many different peoples, ultimately to bless the peoples of this world through Jesus Christ. Now that might surprise us to, to say that because of how much the book of Deuteronomy has this kind of centralizing emphasis. Right? He's leading people to this particular land and he's going to set up a temple where he's going to cause his name to dwell there. But we need to always remember that the goal of all of this was never isolation. Israel was being established to be a light to the nations that others would come in and worship at Mount Zion and come to know the living God. And we should never forget that back in the book of Genesis, which is setting all of this up, in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, he, he gave him many promises. And he said one of the reasons that he was calling Abraham was in order to bless the nations of the earth through Abraham's offspring through his seed and we see signs of God's worldwide purpose foreshadowed at the very least in our passage today notice that the Lord repeatedly speaks of how he has provided a land not only for the people of Israel as a possession but how he's also provided for other people groups as well so look at a few examples at verse 5 do not contend with them the Edomites for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Verse 9, the Lord said, Don't harass Moab or contend with them, for I have um, not given you any of their land for a possession, because I have given R to the people of Lot for a possession. Did you think about pirates? I did, again. Um, verse 19, and when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Okay, three times, again and again, God makes this point. The conquest of the promised land was carefully limited to the land that was promised. So it was not an open-ended invitation to colonization. Israel, we need to understand, was not a marauding force that could pillage and plunder however it pleased. But that is, that's certainly not the typical presentation that you get in pop cultural discussions of the conquest. Right? In fact, the people are specifically called to fair dealing with the nations that lie outside of the promised land. They are expected to treat these people groups with respect. Verse 6. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat. You shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. Right, we're going to consider the ethical uh, questions that arise from the conquest in weeks to come. But it's very interesting that as they come to the border, what you don't have is this indiscriminately violent force rolling in. We, we see careful limitations on the warfare that is going to take place. But throughout Israel's history, the people 
were tempted to take pride in, in their unique election to covenant relationship with God. But this passage, you see, it foreshadows God's greater worldwide purpose for people from every tribe and language and nation. God's interests always extend beyond the borders of our own limited awareness. And friends, it's so important for us to remember that, that God's concerns and purposes always extend beyond the borders and boundaries of our own limited awareness and subcultures. This passage that you know, it might cause our eyes to glaze over on first reading actually teaches us a fundamental lesson about God and the, the realm of his power and the extent of his control in the world. It is without boundary. It extends to the land allotted to the peoples all over the world. Now, another fascinating thing about this passage is the way God calls his people to learn from the history of other people groups. Did you notice that? It's, it's, what was, it's what was contained in those parentheticals in the passage that we read today. Lessons from the history of other people groups. It takes an interest in them. Moses repeatedly points out how other nations who are not who were not a part of God's chosen people, how they defeated these great and terrifying nations of giants. And you see what Moses is up to. He does it in such a way to encourage Israel to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord was giving to them. And so Moses, Moses uses knowledge of other people's history as a way to encourage the covenant people of God to pursue the mission of God. All of, the, all of the strange names of the ancient people, like my favorite, the Zamzamim, reflects the terrorizing effect that those people had on surrounding communities. Okay, so Zamzamim, it, uh, the, the Rephaim, uh, it, it, it carries the idea of something like a, a ghost or a wraith. Okay, um, Emites means terror. Anakim means giants, and uh, the Zamzamin means something like uh, confusion. Okay? So all of these names reflect how these people struck terror into the hearts of others. But the message is, look, they've already been conquered by other people beyond Israel. <laughs> so how much more is God going to take care of you? Right? Just as the Lord had enabled the descendants of Esau to dispossess and destroy the Horites and Seir and to occupy their land, so he had destroyed the Zamzamites and allowed the Ammonites to dispossess them and occupy the land. The Lord is in control. But you see, it's so easy for us to get self-absorbed and to fail to look up and to see what God is doing all around us. In the grand scheme of things, there's something like, what, 8 billion people living on earth today? That's, a, that's just mind-boggling. I can't wrap my mind around that number. 8 billion people. And God knows each one of them by name. He, he knows the number of hairs upon their head. Every single one. 
It reminds us that God's purposes are bigger than us. They're bigger than me. They're bigger than you. They're bigger than Trinity PCA. They're bigger than the PCA. They're bigger than the church in America. They're bigger than Western civilization. And it's this truth that led Paul to proclaim to people in Athens in Acts chapter 17 that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples made by human hands as if he needed us to to serve him. No, instead, he is the one who has given everything to everyone. Everything everyone has has received it from the Lord of heaven and earth. And since he is the one who gives life to all mankind, life and breath and everything, we need to understand that it's also him who is the one who allotted periods and the boundaries of dwelling places that they should seek God. That's what Paul says. God allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God. And then he says that the times of ignorance God overlooked And now, during this present age, the gospel age, God calls all people everywhere to repent. As the gospel is proclaimed to all people everywhere around the world, to all nations and all peoples, God calls us to repent because he has has appointed a day when he will judge all people in righteousness and he has confirmed that by raising a man from the dead you see one part of repentance really a big part of repentance is simply recognizing that there are no limitations to God's lordship none none whatsoever there are no limitations to Christ's lordship he has been given authority in heaven and on earth to judge all things. And so regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of the circumstances that you may be facing, brothers and sisters, God's God's word encourages us to look beyond the horizon of our experience to see the boundless provision of God in Christ Jesus. All of us, all of us are faced with particular circumstances. Some are joyful, and some are, really, some are really hard. Some are downright miserable, if we're honest. And it's so easy for our vision to get blocked, to stop at our immediate circumstances. But where are you really? Have you considered afresh the one in whom you live and move and have your being? Have you considered that your ultimate situation is in Christ. And that he is your life. He orders your entire life. Indeed, he orders all of history to give himself to you, to be your inheritance. And so take heart, take heart and trust in Christ And the promise and assurance of this passage is that you have and you will lack 
nothing. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you for your providence in all places and your providence which extends to all peoples. And we thank you that you are ultimately at work to give yourself to your people to be their inheritance, to be their life, to be their joy. And so we pray that in the various circumstances that we face, that you would help us to remember not only a situational awareness of how we ought to live wisely in these times, but remind us day by day of our ultimate situation in Christ, that Christ, our rock, is with us, and that in him we lack nothing. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.